Welcome to Creative Biolab Science Channel. As an experienced expert and reliable partner, Creative Biolabs is proficient in lipid-based drug delivery and functional liposome development. With versatile methods, diverse products, superior quality, and fast turnaround, we are confident to provide optimum solutions tailored to boost your R&D projects. Dear friends in the audience, you are welcome to listen to our program on time every Saturday night. As our sharing guest, Dr. Smith came to our program today as promised. There is a lot of interesting knowledge waiting for us to explore. I believe everyone is looking forward to his arrival. Let's welcome Dr. Smith with warm applause. Would you say hello to our audience, Dr. Smith? Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Beth. It is quite nice to see you again. Thank you for your invitation. I'm very excited to be here. In the last episode, we discussed the mechanism of DNA transfection using cationic liposomes in vitro. Of course, we were still concerned with the first half of the transfection process, the transfer of the plasmid from the extracellular to the cytoplasm. Since the in vitro and in vivo environments are very different, the stability of the genosome is greatly affected. Therefore, we discuss the in vivo and in vitro transfection mechanisms separately. As early as 1992, cationic liposomes were first used in clinical trials for gene therapy. However, cationic liposomes are rapidly inactivated in the presence of serum, so their application in vivo studies has been hindered. The study of the lipid structure activity relationship and the disclosure of gene transfer mechanisms are the keys to improving transfection efficiency and optimizing gene therapy. We come today to focus on the mechanism of cationic liposome-mediated gene transfection in vivo. Why don't we talk about gene expression in vivo first? For gene expression in vivo, we should distinguish between different routes of administration. On the one hand, intratracheal perfusion and inhalation of aerosols may be similar to in vitro procedures, but some macrophages may attack the complex. Under these semi-dry conditions, the stability and interaction characteristics of genosomes have not been studied. These features are important because the interaction of genosomes with surface mucus can prevent them from entering the surface of the cells. On the other hand, intraperitoneal injections and injections in fixed body fluids without large numbers of macrophages may also be similar to those in vitro. Does the injection method of administration produce a process similar to that in vitro? If lymphatic drainage occurs, local subcutaneous and intramuscular injections or other direct injections may resemble in vitro or systemic procedures. This suggests that various lipid formulations, including neutral lipids, should be tested. A similar situation can occur in tumors after direct injection where the blood may wash out part of the genosomes. In these cases, however, some DNA may be injected directly into the cells. Muscle cells in particular are very large and, due to their size, a poke at the injection site may reveal staining of marker genes quite far away. Could this also explain the difference between horizontal and vertical injections in the muscle? Sure. Especially in the case of naked DNA, it seems extremely unlikely to penetrate the cell. It is worth mentioning that under conditions similar to those in vitro, such as administration in intracerebral fluid or intraperitoneal injection, dope can be attempted as a neutral lipid to enhance expression. This is unlike systemic applications that primarily use cholesterol. As I read, other mechanically induced events.
such as hydrodynamics or osmotic pressure-related internalization, are also possible. But this issue is very complicated. We will focus on systemic drug delivery. It is the most complex and difficult route on the one hand and offers the widest range of applications on the other. For the in vivo application mechanism of gene transfection, what questions still need to be clarified? First, nothing is known about the mechanism of liposome DNA complexes entry into the nucleus. If cells divide, DNA can become trapped during nuclear lysis and body development. Efficient passive targeting is unlikely, and whether condensed DNA is more suitable for active import is unknown. Second, in addition to active trafficking in the cytoplasm, the spatial and temporal localization of DNA depolymerization remains unclear. Anecdotal evidence suggests that DNA condensation does not facilitate nuclear import and targeting. But there is no direct experimental evidence that DNA is decondensed in the cytoplasm. Also, in the cytoplasm and nucleus, it is unlikely that plasmids are not complexed with endogenous and native polycationic species. In the presence of so many unknown conditions, how can researchers explore the process and mechanism of transfection in vivo? Cleverly, the researchers, in the Gedenkin experiment, thought of the various steps that must occur in this process for the encoded protein to be expressed. First, the genosome must flow or spread to the cell and stick to its surface. Subsequently, transfer across the cell membrane. Lysosomal degradation of DNA and endosomes after endocytosis. Alternatively, the genosome enters the cell by direct fusion with the plasma membrane or by transient lipid-mediated poration. It must then be transferred from the cytoplasm into the nucleus, where the intact depolymerized DNA must be available for transcription. Gedenkin experiment is a unique method used by Albert Einstein to describe his use of concepts, rather than actual experiments when creating the theory of relativity, by the way. Currently, gene integration into chromosomes is not desirable due to the lack of site-specific control. Is there a way to overcome this difficulty? Efficient homologous recombination may change this. Nuclear retention can be enhanced by adding specific DNA sequences that electrostatically bind plasmids to chromatin during cell division. Further improvements include self-replicating plasmids. Since specific sequences divide once with each cell cycle, they are not diluted during cell replication. As far as I know, following this model, one can speculate how various parameters affect the transfection process. What's more, several steps of this model have been proposed and confirmed experimentally. Right? Exactly. Using such a model, one can study the effects of various parameters, such as the properties of cationic and neutral lipids, colloidal stability, physical, chemical, and biological properties of gene bodies and plasmids, and their effects on transfection. Obviously, Plasmids must also be optimized and their activity probed in independent in vitro experiments. Scientists define an optimal genosome as one that contains well-condensed and protected DNA. Its size ranges from 50 to 300 nanometers, depending on the target cell. They should be stable in the biological environment and be able to induce endocytosis or fusion with cells. As we discussed today, cationic liposomal DNA complexes enter cells, cationic liposomal DNA complexes affect many other components of the human body, before reaching the target cells. For example, nucleases in plasma can cause complexes to disintegrate, 
allowing DNA to be released from the complexes prematurely, thereby reducing transfection efficiency. Some anionic extracellular substances are combined with cationic liposomes, or some cationic extracellular substances are combined with negatively charged DNA, which can easily decompose the complex and reduce the transfection efficiency. In the next episode, we will discuss some important physicochemical parameters, biological factors, and other requirements in this complex process. That is all. So much for our content today. Thanks to Dr. Smith for his wonderful science popularization. Thank you for listening. There will be more interesting knowledge waiting for us in the next program. See you next time. Thank you. I hope we will see you next time.